Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Fellow Falcoholics, what is up? Welcome to another episode of the Falcoholic Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Knight at Falcoholic Kevin, joined by a wonderful guest today. He is Will McFadden at Will McFadden, host of the Believe in Falcons podcast and contributor at thefalcoholic.com. Will, how are we doing on this warm summer day? Yeah, much like the Falcons, I am hot, I am sweaty, uh, I am excited for minicamp to be over so I can go hibernate for the rest of the uh, the in insanely hot summer that we've got going on here but it's all good man excited to talk about the falcons with you yeah yeah i mean i think when i didn't think they meant when they said hot boy summer that they actually <laughs> meant we'd just be like really just warm i don't think that's what the the expression was but i'll have to consult with the kids on that um so <laughs> charbroiled boy summer yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, but uh, yeah, guys, like Will said, uh, mini camp and the offseason program is officially wrapped. The team took the last day to go do some top golf, which you know, considering the weather, uh, as we said, <laughs> I think that was probably a good good plan by them. Good play by them. Uh, you know, some team building exercises. Yeah, Kevin, uh, I actually I went golfing this past Sunday and near Stone Mountain, like no trees, really <laughs> wide open course. It was as hot as it's been. There, yeah. But there was no refuge from the sun before we're teeing off. Uh, I'm, it's getting close to tea time. I need to grab some water, some Gatorade for the front nine. As soon as I pick up all the stuff from the from the vending machine there and, and go to pay and check out, like three or four guys get right in front of me. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to have time before the tea time. So let me just I'll get some water on the back nine. You know, when mm-hmm. you make the little turn by the clubhouse stock up, we'll go yeah, from there. Yeah. This course does not go back to the clubhouse before the back nine. So we're as far away from the clubhouse as possible. The heat index is probably now 104 degrees. And I've gone through my like two puny water bottles that I had by the first four holes. I legitimately thought that I was going to die (laughs) on Sunday from heat stroke. And by like the last three holes, I like, I don't think I had any shots my game at all. Not that I usually do, but that (laughs) was less than usual. Yeah. Yeah. I would have so much rather been at Top Golf and just been like, hey, can I get another uh, mojito, please, over here? Like, (laughs) nice, refreshing mojito. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's, I learned from my airsoft and paintball days, you know, you got to get that camel back going. You know, I don't know how you work that into the golf clothes. It may throw your weight off a little bit. Yeah. It might. It might. But. (laughs) get one of those big massive ones you know you just you can weight yourself when you swing and get a little extra power in there so (laughs) um but yeah it's uh it's brutal out there we heard the falcons actually talk about it too which was funny and they made uh they made scott bear i guess stand in the sun uh so (laughs) shout out to scott uh for for answering eric harris's (laughs) challenge um but yeah we did get some some notes from that uh, shout out to Mike Rothstein for the great notes there. Uh, and also, there were a few roster moves, so we'll touch on those first. There were two signings and two cuts. That's just the time of year it is. Uh, the two signings first. 
the Falcons signed former Saints defensive lineman Jalen Dalton, who's interesting. Uh, we'll probably talk about him a little bit. And also veteran center Jonathan Harrison, uh, who has started like 40-something games. So those uh, two were guys that I thought were interesting when they got brought in for tryouts. They did end up signing both those guys. And, of course, the other side of the coin is they had to make some cuts. Uh, so we're going to pour one out on this show for uh, my son, wide receiver Austin Trammell, uh, training <laughs> camp darling from last year. Stuck with the team all year on the practice squad. He even got activated for a few games. But the log jam at receiver has pushed him off the roster. So hopefully he'll be able to catch on elsewhere. And also uh, recent signing running back Jeremy McNichols also waived as well. Um, so, Will, I'll open the floor to you. Any of those guys that you that you find interesting that you want to touch on? <sighs> I mean, the, the <laughs> you know, boring answer, you the know, boring yeah. answer is not really because it's, <laughs> it's still, uh, it's still June 17th, but I will say, you know, I, I'm, I find this approach fascinating and I'm curious to see if it continues a, not just throughout this summer and kind of into this season, but also if it's a, an approach that the Falcons are going to be taking moving forward over the next several seasons, however long Terry Fondo and Arthur Smith and their staff are kind of in place. And that approach that I'm talking about is kind of loading up on your skill position players. They came into camp with a bunch of wide receiver or not camp, but kind of in OTAs, mini camp, bunch of wide receivers, bunch of running backs, really crowded rooms kind of in those particular areas. And we were like, well, what are they kind of doing here? Right. And then on the flip side, offensive line, you know, some talent there, but it wasn't really an area that they had addressed like wholeheartedly and, and kind of same with the defensive line a little bit out. To, you know, I think that they address their edge rushing and linebackers a little bit more than they did solely their defensive line. And now I think we're going to see over the next month that change a little bit and they're going to restructure and rebalance the roster uh, a little bit. And so if I was asking Arthur Smith or Terry Fondo this question, I would say, you know, is there something with the way that teams around the league have approached free agency have approached um you know kind of that post draft free agency period that makes you believe some of the guys that could ultimately benefit you in the trenches maybe overlooked maybe cut like this is the time when they become available so did they want to load up on the skill positions at receiver at running back to give them a period to evaluate and also keep this in mind Kevin like the evaluations for offensive and defensive linemen really can't begin until you start putting the pads on in training camp. So bring in these guys who can, who you can get a good sense of what they can do when you're in shirts and shorts and helmets. And that would be your running backs, your receivers, the guys who really rely on their speed, their agility, their cuts, their catching all of those technical skills that you do get a sense for this time of year. That's everything that I'm kind of focused on and interested in, in terms of kind of a roster building approach. I don't think that any of these names are really going to have a huge impact. I mean, maybe Jonathan Harrison, because he does have that starting ability, but or that you know previous experience, I guess. It just remains to be seen at this point in time, does he have kind of starting ability? Does he have mm-hmm. rotational depth ability? Because he hasn't you know, really played since 2019. Right. So it's just more the roster restructuring aspect that I find fascinating with these couple of moves. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that they sort of made it clear 
that they're they're sort of they're leaning more towards the skill positions early on because it's easier to evaluate those guys. So they're sort of having like a battle royale of receivers and DBs <laughs> and all these guys. And then they're they're going to cut some people before camp, which obviously is sad for these guys, but they're they're bringing in more of them than would normally get a shot in training camp because this is a chance for these guys to actually get a lot of reps and get a lot of work in when it's going to be a lot of install, just a lot of throwing drills, a lot of, you know, just quarterbacks getting on the same page with their receivers. Um, it's a great time for that. And, like, you can do coverage reps and things like that without full contact that, mm-hmm. you know, violates OTA rules or whatever, like we're seeing, like, six teams are getting fined and docked practices for, you know, two physical OTAs, which is just silly to me. But um, it's I, – I think the strategy makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm glad that they brought it up. Um, like that they, they addressed it. Like, yes, there's like a reason that we haven't, you know, loaded up on depth at every position. You know, it, I think it helps fans, you know, calm down a little bit. I mean, I don't think you should be freaking out about the training camp roster before training camp personally, but, yes. um, it's interesting that, that they made it clear. And I, I like the, the approach to it. Um, you know, I like seeing all of these receivers. We, we have a whole, sort of spectrum of guys, you know, they brought in a bunch of speedy guys. They recently brought in Cameron mm-hmm. Batson, you know, they have Demir Bird. They have a ton of big guys. Uh, they have, you know, obviously a lot of DBs, including some guys that are appearing to impress like D Alford from the CFL, who we'll talk about when we get to the mini camp notes. But, um, you know, I like it. I think it makes sense. And I, I like the, you know, they, they started to sort of rebalance the scales i guess you could say with these two moves uh yesterday or the day before whatever it was um you know jalen dalton i think is interesting from a size and athleticism perspective and saints fans were upset when he was cut so that's a good sign in my opinion yeah um so i mean maybe there's something there as as a guy that might you know i think as a three four defensive end that length and size and athleticism makes a lot of sense for for dalton i i like I think Jalen Dalton just sounds like a good player's name too. Like I think that's like an A plus name. So I, I'm I'm pulling for him. Um, I need a new son now that Austin Trammell's gone. So maybe Jalen Dalton will take over that mantle. But uh, Jonathan Harrison, I think, is interesting. Like you said, he hasn't taken like a snap, like a regular season snap since 2019. But he has been on practice squads. He's been protected on practice squads. Like he's basically been a veteran, primary veteran backup on teams that just have happened to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. You know, again, we haven't seen him play recently, so there's always an element of skepticism there. But the last time he played, he was fine. Um, he's only, I don't know, 30, he's going to be 31 this year. So it's not like he's yeah, it's not bad. off the wagon or anything like that um, <laughs> in terms of being able to play. But, um, you know, I, I think as a, a veteran reserve that you know can can step in and start, uh, then I, 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 like, I like that addition. You know, will he actually make the 53-man roster? I don't know. But again, he could be a prime practice squad candidate as a guy that can be your third center because I, he's never really played guard. So that's the one thing that might keep him off the roster is that he's a center only. Uh, I think he's been a good center certainly at times. I mean, this is an undrafted free agent that came in and started 10 games, his rookie undrafted season. And it's, you know, started games pretty much every year since. I mean, that's an impressive yeah, uh, accolade for him. Yeah. So um interested to see if any if, if he pans out you know see what we got there uh and and we'll go from there but uh you know austin trammell sincerely uh it was nice to meet him nice to talk to him 
I got to talk to his wide receivers coach last year. So I'm pulling for you, Austin. Uh, Good luck to you wherever you end up. And then Jeremy McNichols was the other cut as well. I thought that signing initially was a little bit weird too, because running back is so crowded. Like there's like four guys competing for like one spot at this point. So that was just (laughs) like, you know, I, maybe it was like, like they said, sort of to, to fill out the roster at the end of mini camp. But, uh, you know, McNichols, I think is certainly capable of catching on, but it was going to be really hard for him for a guy that doesn't really play special teams to beat out Avery Williams, who's going to play special teams like for that fourth right. spot. So, yeah. And I, I remember talking to Dan Quinn about kind of this, this phenomenon of having your skill positions be pretty loaded going into training camp. And essentially his, the thought process was something along the lines of the injuries and things that you sustain in training camp are generally more non-contact. And those tend to affect your receivers, your corners, your safeties, your your running backs at a little bit of a disproportionate rate simply because of the nature of their job as opposed to, you know, Jake Matthews. And so that that is kind of why you'll see teams load up a little bit more than at wide receiver or corner than they might, you know, at lineman or defensive line or, or whatever. And it makes sense from that standpoint. The other part is special teams. You know, you're you're getting a lot of your lighter bodied players, your, your tight ends, your, your linebackers, your receivers, those are your guys who really are kind of making up special teams. So it makes sense. That's why teams do this. But I do think that the Falcons then are going to be a little bit more selective in the guys in the trenches who they're going to start bringing in. And it is notable that, you know, Dalton, you mentioned as an undrafted free agent, he was with the bears and, and the Falcons love them some Chicago bears uh, at this point when they've got, you know, Dave Ragone in there and and all of the different guys that they have uh, kind of in this coaching staff uh, brought in from obviously Ryan Pace in the front office. But like they're, they're clearly they like an affinity for some Chicago Bear players. Oh, yeah. Love us some Bears. Uh, you know, <laughs> really pretty up there. Yeah. Well, he was a, I think he was most recently with the Saints. So I don't I don't know which of our GMs. That's you know, true. Because Aaron true. Freeman contends that, you know, Ryan Pace has committed a hostile takeover here or something. So uh, there's the shaking hands <laughs> meme. Yep, Just between yep. Terry Fontenot and Ryan Pace. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, so there there was the Saints and the Bears connection, so that was really just a match made in heaven. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, getting into the minicamp stuff, obviously everything we say should be couched with, like, this is minicamp, it's minicamp. Again, I'm going to say it's minicamp. So, like, <laughs> nobody should be really drawing too much from minicamp. But it's all we have to talk about, so we're going to talk about it. Um, the big the big thing, obviously, that everyone wants to know about is the quarterback competition. Marcus Mariotti appears to have a pretty commanding lead early on. Not shocking, not concerning. Um, are we going to horse race this, Kevin? Yeah, we're no. going to horse race this. We're doing okay, it. Good. Okay. Like, what else are we going to do? Okay. Like, this is, it's June. Okay. It's June. We got to get through four more weeks until training camp starts. So if we have to horse race Marcus Mariotti and Desmond Ritter, we're going to do it. Okay. We're going to, we're right. going to make this the most exciting topic that you guys have ever heard in June on this podcast. But yeah, I mean, Desmond Ritter did just receive a bunch of praise from Arthur Smith too. I mean, Michael Rothstein's been doing a great job. He's been like trying to chart all the passes and that's, that's, you know, again, it's mini camp. Don't read too much into it, but it's interesting to see the numbers. And again, like Marcus Mariota is very sharp. You can tell he's been in the offense. He has a lot of experience. This is a number two overall pick. Like Mariota's talented guys. Like let's not, you know, pretend that this is some bum that Desmond Ritter is, is behind on the depth chart or something. Um, and Ritter's like taken longer to get acclimated and, He's not quite as as sharp as Mariota so far. Uh, is any of this surprising to you at all, Will? And and what do you think about the state of this quarterback, you know, competition uh, in June? 
Yeah, I, I think that there are there are some things that should stand out to people. You know, there are things worth putting, I think, stock into. And then there are other things that can kind of be misnomers this time of year. I do actually think Arthur Smith, you know, saying that Desmond Ritter is a little bit ahead of the curve mentally and in learning and picking up this offense, coupled with Desmond Ritter saying that it's easier than he maybe expected it to be, which like the balls on that dude to, to basically just be like, no, the NFL, like I learned it pretty, pretty quickly. Um, all of that, you know, we don't know what necessarily they're asking of Desmond Ritter compared to what they're asking of Marcus Mariota. We also, you know, this is only one small percentage point of the quarterback's overall responsibilities. You know, just knowing your offense in and out is like the bare minimum of what a, quarter, yeah. a starting quarterback needs to be able to do. You then need to, do it with 11 guys on the other side of the ball trying to stop you, a defensive coordinator trying to confuse you, like all of this stuff that comes into play. But it's great that he's apparently, you know, a little bit ahead of the curve mentally. The thing that stuck out to me the most, though, from from Mike's notes, and I really appreciate him doing it. It's what I used to do when I was kind of at practice is just like, all right, well, later on, when I'm looking back through all of this, the stuff I want to know is, all right, well, how many balls did Marcus Marietta complete versus how many balls did Desmond Ritter complete? All of that stuff. So the charting is much appreciated. Because of that, though, and because of some of the insights, it seemed as though it, you're going to get like a five for five from Marcus Mariota or uh, like a six of nine from Marcus Mariota compared to like a three of seven from Desmond Ritter or a one of four from Desmond Ritter. But the context of those throws, I think, is just as important as the actual stats themselves. And what I mean by that is, Kind of Mike made a note that Marcus Mariota's passes, at least in one drill, were more of the underneath variety. Kind of mm -hmm. taking what the defense gave him, uh, you know, some some of these quick passes, maybe some dump offs, things like that. That's smart veteran quarterback play. But it's also what we saw from Marcus Mariota throughout much of his time in Tennessee. Yeah. And that is why people were a little underwhelmed, I think, by the former number two overall pick. It's like, OK, great. But at some point, you got to start making plays. Desmond Ritter, on the other hand, seemed like he was trying to push the ball down the field based on the context yeah. Mike provided. And this is the time to do that. Mm -hmm. This is the time in minicamp and training camp when it doesn't really matter. Yes, it may in your mind hurt your chances of beating the starter. But if I'm a coach, like I want the guy who is going to find his own limits. You know, uh, this is the summer of Top Gun Maverick for me because that movie rules. <laughs> but right off the bat, Maverick is sitting there basically saying, everybody knows the plane's limits. We're going to find the pilot's limits. And that's kind of the way I'm looking at, at Desmond Ritter, at least through these mini camp practices. It seems like he is trying to push the ball down the field, make some of these bigger plays and elevate the offense. And even though he's not there yet, because I do think the physical side of his game is going to take a little bit of time to come around, maybe a little longer than people think it will. And that could ultimately hold him back as a rookie. But from a mentality standpoint, that is what really jumped off the page uh, to me from Mike's notes is that Desmond Ritter seems to have a little bit more, not gunslinger, but risk taker yeah. in him at this time of year. And I think that's the exact perfect approach. So yes, I would agree. Marcus Mariota kind of coming in here, cool, calm and collected, just running the show, even though it, at least, and again, don't read too much into a mini camp yeah, practice. Yeah. It's June. It's June. Yeah. It's June. It's June. He's doing what's been asked of him. I like that Desmond Ritter is kind of saying, I'm going to have to earn this. And to do that, I got to grip it and rip it. Um, yeah, so yeah. I like what I'm hearing out of the quarterback so far. Yeah. I mean, I think it's notable 
how much praise Arthur Smith heaped on Ritter from the the mental side. He <laughs> yeah. doesn't really do that for many players. Um, so like for a lot of people, it might be like, oh, this is just lip service. Like every court, every every coach is gonna like Arthur Smith really doesn't just come out with the effusive praise. Well, the only rookie often. last year that he praised was Ade Ogundeji. And we mm-hmm. saw the role then that he had kind of coming yeah. out of training camp. So mm-hmm. he started you know, 10 games Ar- as a sixth round or fifth rounder or whatever. Exactly. So, so when yeah. Arthur Smith, you know, does compliment somebody, I think it is worth actually legitimately paying attention to. And I, I, uh, so I, I think there's something there certainly. Um, and I, I think it is important. Like exactly what you said. I agree with learning the offense is like, step one of being an NFL quarterback, <laughs> but it's the, if you don't even, if you don't have it, there's absolutely no way you're getting on the field. So right. he's got the, getting that done means that he can move on to the next step, which is, you know, learning, you know, getting comfortable with his teammates and, and getting into the install portion and working with guys. And then you get into the next step of like, okay, add the defense into the picture. Um, but again, like based on his scouting report, this is the stuff that he was going to come in with an advantage in, uh, he was good at reading defenses. He was really smart. He played in a pro-style offense. None of this stuff is necessarily new to him. He was already doing a lot of the types of things that an NFL offense would ask him to do. Um, so he's going to be starting at, at further ahead than a lot of these guys. You know, the the parts that he has to clean up, like the accuracy stuff, you know, we're seeing that in the notes too. Um but you can't get to the finer points until you take care of the bigger, like the the more general stuff. And I think him yeah. having an advantage mentally is going to help him get to the finer points faster. Will it be fast enough for a week one starting job? I don't. I don't think so. I think that's really unrealistic to ask any rookie with a legitimate competitor in yeah. there. Uh, and I think do. the so. I think the Cincinnati point though is is a very good one, right? Because mm-hmm. four year starter took him to the college football playoff, like a great follow up to Arthur Smith's comments would have been how much do you attribute his experience at Cincinnati to that kind of shortened learning curve versus what he has done since he has been with this organization. I wasn't there. I couldn't ask that follow, but like (laughs) that's, that is great context to bring into this because he should be a little bit ahead of the curve mentally because that's what really made him stand out during his college days. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm excited to see, like, this is going to be the most interesting quarterback camp we've had in a long time. I think both these guys are (laughs) capable of starting. Um, And we'll see this year, you know, when it happens for Ritter. I think we both believe that it will happen at some point. Um, Hopefully for good reasons and not bad reasons. But you never know with this stuff. It's the NFL. Uh, But it it is the most interesting, I think, battle to watch. And and we're going to see both these guys in training camp. Um, And that leads me to another quarterback take, which is that the third quarterback, Felipe Franks, maybe isn't even playing quarterback at all anymore. He's a tight end wide receiver extraordinaire. I just thought that was fun because apparently he's out there making plays. What do you think about Felipe Franks? The, uh, the Franksissance or whatever. He's coming back in. He's going to act. Is he actually going to make it on offense uh, other than quarterback will? Because, you know, he's out there impressing everyone. I mean, I think that he's, I think he's definitely a practice squad minimum guy because what I was talking with, with Tori McElhinney, who was also at camp yesterday. Yeah. And she said, one of the things that really stands out is just Felipe's size. Like he's just a huge human being. I yeah. think he's like six four, two forty, and has massive hands. And just like if you weren't told that he was a quarterback, you probably wouldn't think that he was a quarterback, just seeing him out there. And so I was very skeptical 
of the draft pick of Felipe Franks or the uh, the signing, I guess. As yeah, event. yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, the addition, I guess, of Felipe Franks to this roster because I'd as a Georgia fan, you know, I'd seen him play it at a uh, Florida, and then you know, kind of followed him when he moved on, and I believe go to Arkansas. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, Arkansas. Yep. Yeah, just his as a quarterback it was more his athleticism that always intrigued you than his actual quarterback ability and so i think that it makes so much more sense for the team that brought you the studio that brought you cordero patterson swiss army knife now brings you felipe franks swiss army knife like Mm -hmm. that is a great i think unique view of a player like this and harry fontenot comes from new orleans right They had Taysom Hill there. Arthur Smith clearly values some of the ingenuity and getting players who can do multiple different things because that allows you the flexibility on the field personnel-wise, formation-wise to gain an advantage without having to do some of the dress work that other teams do, the pre-snaps, all of those things. Just getting guys who in and of themselves create matchup problems, Like I think that's what the Falcons are interested in. And it may take a little bit of time and it may never fully realize for Felipe Franks, but I really like the fact that the Falcons are understanding where they're at and they're at a little bit of a talent discrepancy. I mean, I don't think that's breaking news to say compared right. to the rest of the league. So you can't just line up mono e mono and, you know, start punching the other team because they're going to beat you down based on just the better talent that they have. The Falcons have to get a little creative, a little um, outside of the box. And, and that's ultimately how I view this is, They're trying to be creative. They're trying some different things. And this is, again, the time of year to do that. So I think Felipe could make the roster as like your third quarterback. But like you said, he's essentially not a quarterback. It's just that this is gaming the the roster system a little bit. And that gives you maybe an extra weapon, even though you can classify him as what would ultimately be be a position that would pretty much never play on game day. Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting. I was looking at uh, his RAS because at quarterback, he's like an elite athlete. You um, love RAS. Man. I love RAS. Well, you can, <laughs> and what I'm doing, what I was just doing while you were finishing up, um, because I was just like, okay, I agree with everything you're saying. So <laughs> that would be a boring topic for me to just be like, yep, everything you said, I agree with. So um, one of the things you can do is you can run a player at a different position. So if you run Franks as a tight end, He's still an elite athlete. He's like an eight one nine RAS, um, but that's at his his quarterback weight of two thirty four. So if he were to put on ten pounds, get up to two forty five, then he would be like an eight six eight. You know, if he gets to two fifty, he's like getting close to a nine. So, you know, ten pounds for a guy who's six five and six eight or, and six eights. So I'll give him six six. I'll give him six six. If you're over six eights, you get six six. So. Um, you know, the, he's got all the size. He needed to add. He needs to add some weight. And like based on what we've seen from training camp, I, I don't know that he's added the weight. He still looks like two thirties yeah, to me. But if he wants to play tight end, he's gonna have to get up into the two forties at least. Um, and there's still time. He's got all the training camp um, and that sort of thing. But um, he's certainly capable of playing tight end. You know, he, his four six one is even more impressive at tight end than it is at quarterback. I think um, his forty time. You know. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's a position that makes a lot of sense for him if he's not going to be a full-time quarterback. But again, if he's if he makes the roster as sort of your fourth tight end, a, a major special teamer, and your third quarterback, it's like, oh, okay, well, this is a guy you can activate because he's going to play like four different roles for you 
teams love these these sort of Swiss Army Knife guys, these guys that you can roll out that are going to have multiple roles for you, that are going to play on special teams, that can be your emergency third quarterback. Like, yep. you know, now we have Troy Anderson, too, who can be our emergency quarterback. So maybe that complicates things for Felipe Franks. But um, it's interesting to see what they do with him. I mean, I think it's a fun story. I always think it's fun when, when teams try to play guys at interesting spots and see what they can do. So um, that is one that that's sort of fun and, and silly and um, I hope it works out for him because I, I think the coaching staff loves him. Like if they did not love Franks, he'd be long gone by now. So the fact that they're trying <laughs> to convert him yeah. to something else to keep him on, keep him around. I think that's a sign that the, the staff really likes him. And I think Ross team was saying that when he scored that touchdown in, in uh, red zone drills, that the whole offense went crazy. So I think he's well liked as well, which is important. You know, the, the locker room is really important for this stuff. It's, we don't talk about it a lot, but guys that everyone respects in the locker room, you know, it, it it's a tiebreaker for the roster. So um, not that all these guys, like not that they don't like, you know, some other tight end on the roster, but if they love you, you know, as opposed to just like you, it can be a tiebreaker at times. Well, I always, I always just try because the simplest way to put like football is no different than really any other workplace environment. Like, and, and nobody wants the guy over in the corner that everybody thinks is weird kind of on the staff. (laughs) Right. It's just like, if, if you get along, if you're a good culture fit, yeah, you got a better chance at sticking around. Um, and so I think that, that it's kind of no more complicated than that. If people if people like him, if he can bring something to the team, then yeah, he's got a great chance to uh, be part in the Falcons' plans, at least for the 2022 season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, trying, uh, I'll, I'll let you get... I don't know if there was anything in particular from minicamp notes that, that you wanted to talk about. I've got a couple other things we might get to, but I, I wanted to open the floor in case there was a particular topic you wanted to hit. Um I mean, I, I think the the quarterback stuff is really interesting, but you know the it the AJ Terrell and Kyle Pitts of it all. I don't want to overblow that, but it does seem like probably in a mini camp that was a little bit more uneventful because they all are by definition pretty uneventful. Getting your two most recent first round picks really kind of I think setting the tone is exactly what the Falcons want to have happen and AJ Terrell the jump that he made really solidifies himself or solidifies his place I think at least in in the fan base's eyes as a leader on this team now he's a little bit more of a quiet dude um which is why it was notice like notable to me that he was John back and forth with Kyle Pitts who I also consider a little bit of a quiet dude and that energy I don't know if it's the coaching staff saying, Hey guys, we need your focus right now to be just like, get these guys simulating the mindset, the energy, the feel of actual live competition. Yes. It's mini camp, but we can't start that soon enough. That is also part of the preparation. It's not just physical. It's not just mental. It needs to be emotional. Your emotional preparation needs to continue to develop throughout these coming months. And so having two young guys, two young players, because we always talked with with Julio Jones um, or the corners that would guard Julio Jones about just how his talent would make them better and help them prepare. But by the end of his run here in Atlanta, it's not like he was out there at minicamp running every single route. It's not like he was out there at every single training camp practice going up against these guys. But you have two players in their early 20s who are entering, if not you know, a couple of years away from the prime of their careers, going full tilt at each other and AJ winning some reps and Kyle Pitts winning some reps and the whole team seeming to be like locked on 
to these two guys. That is, I think, the most exciting news to come out of minicamp because that is something that I do think will translate into training camp and translate into the season as just kind of a tone-setting mentality from your top two guys on this roster. And that's what the Falcons need because it's got to start from the top down, and that doesn't just apply to the coaching staff. It applies to the locker room, and you always turn to your star players first. And for too long, the Falcons' star players have been a little bit on the quieter side. So if they're looking to change that, then I think that is you know, as substantial as maybe any news that we will hear um, from this past week. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be easy for guys like A.J. Terrell and, and Kyle Pitts, especially during minicamp, to sort of just, you know, like just, be yeah, there. Just go along, you right. You know, uh, and, and put in the work, certainly, and, and, you know, do all the right, do all the things that they need to do. But, like, it's, it's minicamp. So, like, there's going to be maximum effort from all these UDFAs and, like, futures contracts guys that are like, I don't know that I'm going to get to training camp, so I have to, like, get out there and bust ass every right. play to stick around. Those guys are going to bring the energy. You don't have to worry about that. But your your vested star veterans, like those guys, like it, this is a formality for them. This is like just sort of a warm up, you know, and all that. And that that's just how it is when you're that sort of player. But it's great to see that they're bringing the energy too, just like you said. Like they're out there fighting and balling and trying to get everybody else hyped up. And, and look, I mean, it would be easy on a team that, you know, doesn't necessarily have playoff expectations and that you know it's a rebuilding year and all this stuff is circling around the team like we're talking about it I guarantee you the players are talking about it I guarantee you they're hearing it like it's not like they're living in some sort of bubble um it it, it can be easy to be like all right well I'm just gonna take it easy but it does I don't think they're taking it easy I don't think Arthur Smith would let them take it easy even if they wanted to so um I think it's it's exciting to watch and I think we're gonna see a really competitive training camp based on what we've seen at minicamp and that's obviously exciting for us as fans to see and, and us as analysts to evaluate, but I think it's good for the team as well because whether this is a, a playoff season or not, they got to prepare like it is because if you're preparing mm-hmm. to lose, you're just going to keep losing. So you have to be ready and you have to prepare like you're on the cusp of getting there every single off season. Even if you're not, you know, maybe they're not, <laughs> you know, but you get, cause next year you might be. And if, if you have the preparation, right. And then the roster catches up and the experience catches up, then you're going to be in the right position. But if you're taking, you know, if you're just like, oh, well, we're not doing anything, you know, we can just take it easy. And then you go into next season, all of a sudden you got all these expectations. It's going to be a little bit of a different story. So um, yeah. I think they're doing it the right way, though. I think that they got things set up the right way. Well, the uphill climbs are definitionally harder, mm-hmm. right? And so you've got to up your preparation level, you've got to up your effort and determination, right? Like for, for Rocky to beat Drago, he had to go to Siberia and train in the snow and literally run up mountains and scream into the Russian air. Like that's what the Falcons need to do. They've got a they've got a huge challenge ahead of them. So if they're going to be playing other teams, especially right out of the gate, the gate for those first seven games, they need to be right now higher emotionally, intensity wise, uh, from a just a detail perspective. They need to be better than all of those teams because those teams are better in other areas. So that parts of the game that the Falcons can control, which are all those little things, they need to be doing them at an elevated level. And so that is what really stuck out to me was just kind of hearing the notes of intensity and and in ways that I think are actually true, because every team this year, you're going to be getting like it's the whole like he's arriving to camp in the best shape of his life. We get a billion of those stories every time training camp rolls around and they almost never like lead to anything. In fact, 
I think a lot of those players end up getting hurt. That's just my own personal take because like their bodies just aren't built to really withstand yeah. a lot of the muscle that they put on and, you know, move that quickly and all of that stuff. So this, this should be a time of year. Like if, if somebody's reporting that the team looks sluggish and like, they don't want to be there and disinterested, that's a massive, massive red yeah, flag. So every, yeah. every team's going to be saying that they're energized, that there's a lot of competition, all of that stuff. It's just more who was setting the tone that really opened my eyes as opposed to just, Hey, the Falcons are competitive out there. Like there's a lot of drawing back and forth. The offense beat the defense, blah, blah, blah. Like that's, you're going to get that regardless for it to be AJ Terrell and Kyle Pitts, I think speaks volumes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, so I, we're definitely in agreement there. Um, one spot I definitely wanted to touch on was uh center where we're seeing Drew Dahlman and Hennessy basically split reps uh, you know, and Arthur Smith has made it clear, like, they're going to do a lot of shuffling, you know, early mm-hmm. on especially, and so don't necessarily read too much into this stuff. But it's interesting because the new regime drafted Drew Dahlman, not Matt Hennessy. So there's always going to be the questions, like, do they prefer Dahlman? You know, Hennessy had a great year as a run blocker. The pass blocking wasn't quite there. Drew Dahlman only saw, like, 80 snaps, but he looked good on those snaps outside of some, some false starts. Uh, but... What do you think about that battle? And is this maybe going to be the most hotly contested spot on the offensive line? Yes, it, sh- it should be. It should be. And I think that there's also a chance, you know, that they do look at whoever is what will be very telling is if at some point midway through training camp, one of those two guys starts getting some run with the guards. Yeah. Like that will tell you basically who has a leg up in this battle, because I think that whoever they have, I believe Dolman has a little more experience playing guard as opposed mm-hmm. to Matt Hennessy. I think Matt Hennessy has pretty much been a true center, but yeah. you're going to want your second interior lineman option to really have some of that versatility. So that will be an early indicator. I like both of these players. I liked them a lot coming out of college. I thought Matt Hennessy had some poor man's Alex Mack to his game. Uh, and I, I think Drew Dahlman is a little bit more well-rounded maybe than Matt Hennessy was, but I, I thought Matt Hennessy was a better pass protector in yeah. some ways coming out than he's shown so far in the NFL. So I have to wonder a little bit how much that was just teams seeing Jalen Mayfield and Matt Hennessy next to each other and just being like, we're going to put Fletcher Cox right here yeah. in this a gap and just let him go to town or we're going to move you know, whoever their best passer, Cameron Jordan, like whoever is just going to line up right here and feast on you two young guys. Uh, So I'm curious if improved left guard play helps the center. But yeah, Matt Hennessy, I I have to think the experience that he had last year and the year of learning would benefit him. Yeah, yeah. Coming into here, but Drew Dahlman, like you said, and in his snaps late in the season, it's not like they got noticeably worse. Now, obviously, it's a smaller sample size, so that could skew things a little bit. But I do think that this is easily the most heated, contentious battle. And I don't mean that in terms of the two guys like hate each other, no, but just no. <laughs> like the the true battle on the offensive line probably is center. But I would keep an eye on the obviously Jalen Mayfield as well. But then if one of these two guys starts mixing in with Jalen Mayfield a little bit because I do kind of lump all three of them together as like two of these out of two of the three need to be your answers. Otherwise we're kind of in the same situation. And then next off season, that's probably when you see like it's an Andy Levy tree or an Alex Mack, hopefully the caliber of those two guys, but 
that's where I think you'll see them sign a guy for $10 million a year next off season and just say, we need to get this fixed. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's like, you know, the tack, the right tackle thing as well, because they didn't pick up McGarry's option. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if they may need to either put a draft pick or a signing there. So I think they would really like it if they could just say, we're going to sign the best tackle we can. And then one of these guys can actually play left guard and center, you know, and we're all good um, instead of having to pay two offensive linemen or draft two guys or whatever it is, but uh, we'll see how it shakes out. But I mean, do you expect that they will add another left guard to the mix? They haven't yet. We've been sort of predicting that they will all off season and they haven't, you know, Jonathan Harrison really is more of a center only. So I don't know. Like, is it going to happen? I, I think I have felt, and I have had really no reason to feel this way outside of just a a gut instinct with the way that coaches speak about guys and also their actions. Their actions are in a lot of ways more important than their words, but their words are also somewhat important. And and they have talked about Jalen Mayfield in terms of like this plan. And a plan usually means that there's some longer term goal than just what is immediately in front of you and i think that they recognize that hey this was a guy who played right tackle throughout his college or for most of his college career we brought him in here maybe expecting him to get a little bit of run there certainly with caleb mcgarry being absent for for a lot of early parts of training camp then they slide him over to left guard just to start getting him some reps there and all of a sudden he's now your starting left guard for the season and he just took his lumps the entirety of the year but if if the Falcons weren't comfortable with him taking those lumps and didn't see that as a potential positive for the future, then you have to imagine that they would have at least brought in some of these, like it would have been just a rotating thing of like, we're signing a veteran or a journeyman or whoever at the minimum come in here. Like, let's see what he can do for two games. All right. That didn't work. Let's bring somebody like they would have just kind of thrown John Jalen Mayfield to, not the practice squad, but they would have been like, you're getting your practice time in. We can't do any more of this. We got to win some games. They didn't right. do that. Mm-hmm. He took, he spent all year out there getting somewhat abused, but he also <laughs> would have games where he looked really good. I mean, you and I follow PFF after each yeah, game. Yeah. And there were some weeks where he was the lowest rated offensive lineman in the league. Single there were definitely, <laughs> definitely more of those games than, yeah. than the altar. But there were also like a couple of games where he was in like the seventies in terms of his overall grade. And so you kind of saw the inconsistency fluctuating and the bads were really bad, but the Falcons, I think understood that that was going to be the case. And I always felt that because they stuck with him all year long and they got a full year under his belt, that they were going to be willing to give him the benefit of the doubt throughout training camp, let him really grow in this role and give him kind of a second year. It's not like the expectations for the Falcons this year are any different than they were. I think last year. So even if you're willing to let him go through all of this again, if he can't do it this year, then you know. Then you yeah. know what you've got, and that's that's one answer, even though it's not the answer you'd hope for. But if he turns it around and he does kind of show noticeable improvement, and if he's just an average left guard next year, that's really good improvement for a player that you did spend draft capital on, and they can't just keep doing these like one year turnover things. And you can't just right. say, well, this rookie didn't pan out. So we have to draft a left guard in the second round. Well, okay. If that guy doesn't pan out, then are you just going to do the same thing again? Because this is the NFL. It's really hard. And players do have to grow and get better in yes. order to turn into the players that they ultimately become. So for those reasons, I always felt like Jalen Mayfield was probably going to get another 
run at it this year. Now, whether or not he botches that opportunity in training camp or early in the season and the, and the problems just never get corrected, that's ultimately on him. But I think that this organization kind of viewed him as the left guard, at least in year two, to see what he can do with that opportunity. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think all of the moves they've made or lack thereof uh, thus far have been sort of saying like, look, Jalen Mayfield's going to get every chance in the world to win the left guard job. Like (laughs) they haven't like cleared the runway. Like Colby Gus said is like a decent backup. You know, they did draft Justin Schaefer. Um, You know, I think Ryan Newsel, honestly, maybe he's getting slept on. He was the best offensive lineman in preseason last year. Now, a lot of the starters didn't play, but like of the people that did play, Ryan Newsel actually was good. So, um, you know, he spent the year on the practice squad and he's back. So, Mm -hmm. They haven't brought in, like, a veteran starter. I think if we ever see that happen, it's probably like, okay, maybe Mayfield's in trouble. But I think they're going to—it seems at this point, unless they bring in someone right before training camp, that they're going to let him play it out. Um, and well, and, and that's, yeah. that's why—because I think you mentioned, like, the free agency part of this is the key, right? Yeah. Uh, they went in the middle rounds of this past year's draft more defense— And I think that that was intentional because if they had gone offensive line, I would have been looking at this lump sum of money that they're going to be able to free up for next year's free agency and said, okay, they want to use that to address defense. They didn't do that. They went young at linebacker. Now they can still, obviously they need to maybe add some guys on the defensive line and that could be where that money's going, but they barely touched offensive line outside of Justin Schaefer. So I have to think that they look at this saying, we've got three young guys here. If one of them pops, awesome. If two of them pops, even better. But if none of them do, we're taking a good chunk of this salary cap and we are going to fix the offensive line with veteran guys who've proven it at the NFL level. We're going to stop dancing around this group. It needs to be good for us to have success in 2023. And that's really what I think the plan is, is it's just we only have so much uh, so many resources to allocate to these positions this past off season. None of it was financial. All of it was pretty much draft capital. And they chose to do it on the defensive side, knowing that they could probably fix the offensive line in one off season, given the resources that they will have financially in the 2023 off season. So I think it's really just that simple. Like they had some guys in place. Let's see what they can do, you know, with another run at it. And if not, we've got kind of a backup plan. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that strategy. I think that, you know, I, I, I think they're hoping that they can come away with center and left guard solidified with between Hennessy and Dalman and Mayfield, um, that they can feel confident about one of those guys. And they, they did draft Schaefer. So maybe they're, they're hoping for something there, maybe like at least depth. Uh, That's there. a good so six that, round pick. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that way they can be like, all right, we're just going to go out and buy the best right tackle money can buy. And we're going to be, you know, we're going to be cooking with gas now. So that that's the hope. So we'll, you know, if, if you just have one big need, you can go fill that in free agency. But if you got to fill three spots or two spots, like you're probably depending on a draft pick. And then that's just going to start this process all over again. So let's just look, we're all pulling for Jalen Mayfield. It was a bad situation. He got thrust into, and to his credit, he started 16 games and it didn't look like he was like giving up. Like he mentally was still there. There was no comments about it. You know, there weren't, he, he stuck with it. He played hard. He tried, he got his ass kicked, but he kept, he kept going. So, I mean, look for a rookie. Sometimes that's how it is. You know, sometimes you're the hammer. Sometimes you're the nail. He was the nail last year. Maybe this year he can be the hammer. So, um, 
we'll see, but we're, we're pulling for him and, and whoever wins at center, I think, you know, I think either way, whoever wins at center, you've got a really solidified center position with a good backup too. Um, so mm-hmm. that's a good spot to be in. You know, we'll see how that goes, but, uh, yeah. Anything else you want to touch on, Will, before we wrap up? I think we covered all the main, main topics. Well, I did. I wanted to get your thoughts on this because I, mm-hmm. I, think it was it was mike who wrote this for espn as well but um a story essentially about how ted Monacino, the uh outside linebackers coach was having his young guys research or watch film on like the 15 best pass rushers in the league this past year and basically it was kind of like we had ade ogandeji watch cam jordan film because they're both like big and physical we had i think it was arnold abacady watch tj watt film which seems because they were like similar body types yeah what do you think about because like on the surface sure have your young players watch tape of the best guys in the league like i'm fine with that but the reasoning being like arnold epicady and tj watt have similar body types and you know ade ogandeshi is big just like cameron jordan so that's why we're having that like I need more reasoning than that. <laughs> there needs to be more thought process than just like, you look like Julius Peppers, so go watch Julius Peppers film. It's like, well, yeah, but they're not the same. Like, there are different <laughs> elements one Julius that. Peppers. Yeah. yeah, so like, do you think, is that a good approach or does that concern you at all? I think it's concerning. I mean, I think it's more like, this is what we'd like you to be. Like, you know, can you be Cam, you yeah. know, Ade? Like, we'd like you to be Cam Jordan. So go watch some Cam Jordan film. Like, <laughs> we're not expecting you to be Cam Jordan, but this is sort of the role we have in mind for you. You're going to how be, he uses yeah. his size and strength. Yeah, and exactly. try You're to gonna, incorporate that. Right. And like for Ogandiji, he's probably going to be the base down, base package player. Right. Like, he's going to start mm-hmm. a lot of games, especially against the, the Falcons. are going to play a lot of run heavy offenses. Ogandiji is the guy that's going to be their primary run stuffer, probably alongside mm-hmm. like an, uh, Lorenzo Carter or something. Because the guys they drafted, Epicadia and Malone, they're both smaller pass rusher specialist types. Um, yes. And they're both like fine against the run, but like Ogandiji is like 260, 270, and like 6'5. So he's going to be your, your bigger uh, outside linebacker. So I think they're like, yeah, look at Cam Jordan. Look how he plays the run. Look at how he sets the edge and does all this stuff. You play like that. You know, with Epicady, they're like, hey, we want you to be like TJ Watt. This is the role we want you to play. Be like our sort of do-it-all guy um, and our pass rushing ace and that sort of thing. And, and, you know, they do have a similar body type. I think TJ Watt's bigger, like two or three inches taller. But uh, I could be wrong about that, I guess. I don't know. We're going to pull this up. You know, I still have RAS. But, um I, I think it makes sense, but again, it's like... It just struck me as a little, like, cute. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it's cute. It is cute, for <laughs> sure. Um, but, you know, if it helps, hey, I mean, there's no harm in it. So Right. Yeah, yeah it, I mean, it certainly yeah. can't be a bad thing. And, uh, like, we were talking about the offensive line. If if they get the pass rush group, like, if they get the outside linebacker group in a decent spot, nothing, I think, sets their transition period ahead more than getting that group of guys in a good place because that's the other spot where teams will just swing and swing and swing and swing in the draft hoping they find one answer as a pass rusher if you can you know if Arnold Abikati can become a really good starter or you know rotational situational pass rusher D'Angelo Malone can be a, a guy off the bench a sixth man who can come in here and get you two sacks in a game like that's awesome and it's a great starting step that then allows you to focus maybe on some of these other pieces and that builds yeah. out your roster. So that's all I why I mentioned kind of yeah, the outside yeah. linebacker group. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the outside linebacker group is really important. It's really young, and it's where they really invested this year. So, exactly. I, I think that they're hoping, like, look, we, you know, one of Ebicady or Malone looks like a starter. You know, let's see how Lorenzo Carter looks in this defense. You know, I have a feeling Lorenzo Carter could be back next year because he's actually a perfect fit and they, they really like what he does and that sort of thing. And then Ogundiji is sort of your, your base package guy. That's going to be your, your primary run stuff or your, your strong side defensive end sort of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like the group. I think it has promise, you know, we'll see how quickly Ebicady and, and Malone sort of pick things up. But I mean, I think the, the building blocks of your new outside linebacker edge group is there where we still need a lot of work is on the interior because we've got Grady Jarrett. You know, let's let's see if Anthony Rush can be that nose tackle. Um, I think he was promising mm-hmm. last year, certainly. And I think Taquan Graham looked good as, as a run-stuffing, you know, 3-4 defensive end tackle too. But outside of those guys, like Marlon Davidson, we got to see it, like now. At like some right point. Now. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Right now we have to see it or it's, it's probably game over. Um, and then they brought in some, like, decent veterans. Like, I, I think Vincent Taylor, if he's healthy – can be a starting caliber guy. Uh, we already talked about Jalen Dalton getting signed. And Nick Thurman, you know, is another guy. And they brought in some interesting UDFAs. But, like, they need another guy next to Jared that's actually going to be, like, an impact player. Um, that's not just, like, a rush, you know, like a nose tackle. Like, like Anthony Rush, I think, will probably be a pretty good nose tackle. But yeah. there's just not the guy that can play across from Grady Jared. And that might be, you know, if they're out of range for Will Anderson or whatever in the draft – it might be that they go after one of those top defensive tackles like Jalen Carter or whatever. Um, because if they're picking, you know, four or five, Will Anderson's probably gone, but Jalen Carter might be sitting right there for them to take. And that would be, tr- you know, tremendous to add him next to Grady Jarrett. So I'm already getting excited about that potential uh, combo. We, you know, we missed out on the Jordan Davis, but uh, Jalen Carter's coming. Yeah. Jalen Carter might be a good consolation prize. So, <laughs> yeah. No, he's not bad. They, they've got, they got a lot of guys. They need more dudes. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So, yeah. Well, Will, terrific conversation as always. Uh, we're going to have lots more to talk about here in about a month. Uh, I will be down there, guys, at camp. Will, are you going to try to make it over there at all? Too? Yeah, for sure. I'm cool. hoping to, hoping to make it. I'm just waiting for I was going to maybe go to a mini camp, but it's so hot outside. I was like, I'm good. Uh, yeah. So, no, training no. camp. Yeah, definitely when one of those rolls around, we'll, uh, we'll have to link up. Absolutely. And guys, he is Will McFadden at Will McFadden on Twitter, host of the Believe in Falcons podcast. Will, anything else you're working on you'd like to plug? Uh, well, we mentioned Marlon Davidson. I'm going to work on a piece this uh, this upcoming weekend, some now or never guys for the Falcons, where we need to see it this year or we may never see it. So that, that should be coming early next week. Um, outside of that, not too much. It's not June. too much yeah. stuff. It's summer, dude. It's summertime. <laughs> yep. Yep, hot boy summer. So you know, <laughs> in the most literal sense of the of the phrase. So oh yeah, uh, yeah, guys, make sure you check out Believe in Falcons, great podcast over there as well. Um, yeah, and uh, guys, appreciate everyone for tuning in. I'm Kevin Knight at Falcohol. Kevin, I'll still have some some profiles coming out this week, but this is uh, this podcast is going on Monday technically so you know we're recording it early but you guys will get it on monday um so i won't have there will not be a wednesday show because i'm on vacation this week uh so you guys will just have to wait till next week but we'll have some more content (laughs) for you uh for the next part uh if you'd like to donate to the training camp fund the link to that is streamlabs.com slash falcoholic we appreciate all you guys support uh with that uh check out the patreon patreon.com slash falcoholic live if you want to get access to this show before monday because the patrons are getting this show on friday uh 
You can check that out. We're also going to be starting up our fantasy leagues for patrons on there in the next couple weeks as well. So if you're interested in getting involved with that, it's patreon.com slash Live. Of course, check out the site, thefalcoholic.com, for all your written content needs. Until then, guys, for myself and for Will, have a great week. Have a great weekend, all that stuff. And we will talk to you guys next time. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time on the Falcoholic Live. Peace, guys.